Mm. And I think statelessness is a classic test case that if, if you if you allow by structure and by design a group of people to be invisible to the law, then you are already undermining your basic principle of leave no one behind. Hi, I'm Zahra Barazi, and you're listening to the second episode of the Paperless People podcast. In this podcast series, we're looking at the issue of statelessness and development. In the first episode, we discussed what statelessness is and what it does to people. And at the end of that podcast, we talked about a dilemma, which is where we will pick up in this episode. The sustainable development goals are an attempt at a global level to think through what the world in 2030 and beyond ought to look like. Yes, my name is Joshua Castellino. I'm professor of law and dean of the School of Law at Middlesex University in London. Well, goal 16 basically is a call to international solidarity around the goals and the 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 idea of building inclusive societies across the world. And a key element and I think this is how it ties into statelessness is this idea that we cannot anymore have people who are invisible to the system. Um human rights in many ways works as a compact between an individual and their state. So by virtue of being a citizen of a particular state, you gain certain rights and those rights then have to be upheld by the state. But of course you have a fundamental problem if the state can't see you and a state very often can't see you if you are stateless. So I guess what 16.9 tries to do is to emphasize the need to register and make sure that everybody is on a on an electoral register of some kind. So the dilemma is about a new well-intentioned policy on providing legal identity to people around the world. The worry is that this policy has potential to do harm as well as good. and could leave stateless people in an even worse position than they are now. At the moment, too few people are paying attention to this dilemma. So in the technical language of the UN, this policy is enshrined as Sustainable Development Goal 16.9 and it focuses on legal identity. So of course that sounds good. Surely working on providing a legal identity for those without it around the world will also help stateless people. having a legal identity will mean that they're able to access rights and services and probably participate more in the community that they belong to however this isn't necessarily so you know we are all including those of us who have no risk of statelessness we are very conscious of the fact that the requirement to produce identification is becoming ever more pervasive even in those countries that have not had a national identity card uh in place um before or, or or still up to today we're constantly being required to pr- prove our identity being given a document that enables you to prove your identity it might be useful in some contexts where your nationality is not in doubt but fundamentally if you have a document that says this person you know the country this person is not a citizen of the country where they are living that and they don't have a document confirming that they are a citizen of any other country then all of that all it does is lock the person into a situation of not being a citizen as opposed to providing them a route to citizenship i'm bronwyn manby i am uh, a visiting senior fellow at the london school of economics and i'm also a consultant working on issues of the right to nationality and statelessness bronwyn manby is one of the world's leading experts when it comes to statelessness she points to mauritania as a country where an earlier push to provide legal identity documents had exactly the effect of locking in disadvantages for certain groups. So in Mauritania in 2010 they amended their nationality law to remove the right to nationality based on two generations born in the country 
and also to remove the possibility of late registration of birth through a court judgment, which is the usual way of uh, of, of doing late registration of birth in, in the former Francophone territories. This was done at exactly the same time that they were bringing in a new biometric identity card. And it was portrayed as upgrading, modernizing, making their whole identification ecosystem more fit for the 21st century. But the people most effective are people of uh, who have not been able to get the new national identity cards, are people of black African ancestry, especially those who don't speak Arabic. And in fact, there's a uh, an activist group called Tushpa Ma Nationality, Don't Touch My Nationality, uh, which has you know, issued you know, quite uh, denunciatory documents talking about biometric genocide. Uh, they're saying that they are being erased from the National Register. And that is really of great concern, this question of the people who are most likely not to have been registered at birth uh, in time, the people who are most likely not to have evidence that one of their parents was a national, in the sense that the parents didn't have a document, that saying that they were a national are those people from black of black African ancestry living in remote areas. Bronwyn Mambi is clear that the push to provide legal identity is a trend which precedes the SDGs. At the same time, she says the goal is an extension of this trend. Sixteen point nine is kind of part of a, part of a broader trend uh, that we have seen, you know, in many countries around the, the, the increased both the recognition that identification can be very important to to access a range of different rights, economic benefits, ability to participate uh, in the you know the, the national community in a range of different ways, um, but also uh, a. There's a, a securitization debate as well. If we don't know who people are, they might be a risk. So there are, there's a kind of two-handed discussion going on around this legal identity discussion, which has been you know, going on for some years now, predating Target 16.9, but continuing. And I think what will be needed for 16.9 not to have unintended negative consequences is really to elaborate this issue about what are the underlying substantive bases on which you are as a state required to say, no, common sense says this person is a national of this state. We can't deny this person who is born here, whose parents are born here, who has no con- plausible connection to other any other state. This person has to be given a legal identity, which is not the legal identity of a non-citizen, but the legal identity of citizenship. So this is a challenge recognised by other experts. They say that the implementation of this goal and the precise interpretation of what it means are crucial and needs to be based on the principle that efforts have taken towards the realisation of the goal should not create more exclusion or leave people further behind. Uh, I'm Laura Bingham. I work for Open Society Justice Initiative. I'm a lawyer uh, and I manage a project on uh, access to nationality, denationalization, statelessness and documentation of identity. All people everywhere are, pe- are persons before the law. Um, that's a, a bedrock principle of, of international human rights. Um, and uh, I analyze this provision about uh, this target, about providing a legal identity to all, actually to mean something more specific, uh, to mean that states have duties, have obligations to uh, effectively and without discrimination register the identity 
and provide what necessary credentials that there might be um, in the national context to everyone so that they can use that to access the rights they're already entitled to. Joshua Castellino says that logistics is also a big factor in hitting the goal of getting everyone registered to provide them with documentation. Of course, there are massive challenges. I mean, let's let's uh, let's put it in a different way. States don't go out particularly to exclude populations by and large. Yes, there are some states that would prefer not to have certain populations registered. But by and large, the lack of registration happens because of a series of uh, complexities around the size of a country, around the coverage of a country. So I think the major challenge really is the logistics of how do you ensure that every birth that's, that takes place anywhere, whether that's in a rural setting or an urban setting, how do you ensure that those are captured in some form that's meaningful? And the reason we have to do that is because if we fail to capture that birth, we then fail to recognize the rights of the individual and the access that they have to any policies, national or social or, 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 or socioeconomic. For Bromwe Mambi, the risks of implementing the new goal to provide proof of legal identity are twofold. Firstly, there is the risk of deliberate exclusion of certain groups along ethnic lines, as with the example she gave from Mauritania at the beginning of the podcast. So, discrimination, pure and simple, and the SDG 16.9 will be another tool to discriminate further against certain populations. But, she also points to what she calls more accidental failures. The more accidental situation would, for example, be uh, Uganda and Tanzania, where they are bringing in new national identity cards. Both countries have a pretty positive record historically in relation to citizenship and statelessness. Uh, Tanzania has been um, uh, undertaken uh, naturalization of long-term Burundian refugees in a way that's really quite remarkable and unusual in the African context. But they are now rolling out a new national identity card. The law on its paper, says that if you are born in Tanzania, you are Tanzanian. But that is not how it's interpreted by the immigration department. The uh, entities, and this is in both Uganda and Tanzania, who are receiving applications for citizenship, uh, for national identity cards, are finding that there are large piles, that they've got boxes of applications which they can't treat. Common sense tells them that these people should be Tanzanian should be Ugandan, but they don't have the evidence. And yet the citizenship law doesn't allow them uh, in the context of Tanzania because of the way it's implemented in the context of Uganda, because the citizenship law has an explicit uh, ethnic uh, content in that you have to be a member of one of a list, set of listed ethnic groups. And so you, you are left in the situation that people didn't think they were going to be denationalizing people. But as a matter of practice, there are quite a large number of people, we really don't know how many, who have applied for national identity cards on the basis that they are nationals. They believe themselves to be so, but they don't have the evidence that would satisfy, you know, that actually satisfies the legal requirement. Joshua Castellino says the goal to provide proof of legal identity for all is something that very much needs to be interpreted within the spirit of the Sustainable Development Goals. Because if you believe in the fundamental principle of the Sustainable Development Goals, which is the principle of leave no one behind, that means leave no one behind, irrespective of whether there's three of them here and six of them there and 21 of them somewhere else. If you allow drainages from the system by which individuals don't feel part of society, then there's a whole imperative there that you are, you're not tackling this as a global, global solution. You're imagining a world where those who have will get more. 
you're not imagining a world where everybody has a right to get something. And I think statelessness in that sense is a classic test case that if, if, you, if you allow by structure and by design a group of people to be invisible to the law, then you're already undermining your basic principle of leave no one behind. In addition to these challenges, new technology is also very much part of the push to fulfil the target of giving everyone a legal identity document. Here's Laura Bingham again. The risk uh, is that those technologies and techniques will not be implemented in a way that, in fact, benefits some of the most vulnerable communities, um, including those who had trouble accessing documentation, proof of who they are to begin with. Uh, so uh, the the risk is, um, or, or a risk is, we'll roll out a new system, uh, either either to replace one that existed or one you know where there wasn't one to begin with. Um, the necessary policy and legal protections won't be put in place. Um, you know, it's a it's a cart before the horse kind of problem because uh, the 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 same problems that uh, vulnerable populations face um, and undocumented populations face and stateless populations face, they're not going to go away simply because we put a target in the development agenda and we have some new technology that, that helps states to administer identification and registration systems. As we heard in the first podcast, this sentiment is very much shared by Bronwyn Mumby too. Identification is not fundamentally a technical problem. Your fingerprints do not say that you are a national. Your iris scan does not indicate that you are British or French or Nigerian or Kenyan or Senegalese. It doesn't answer that question. The question is a legal one and a political one. And I think trying to press releases that say that this shiny piece of technology is going to fix your problem are simply not understanding the nature of the problem in countries where identification is a challenge. And to underline why all of this really matters and why we are so keen to flag up the dilemmas involved around what can be seen as an abstract UN goal about a technical issue, we give the last word in this podcast to Joshua Castellino, who says a failure to deal with statelessness and discrimination can lead to the most heinous of crimes. The the political climate we live in is such that states, if statelessness is allowed to persist, may actually resort to a greater extent in rendering people stateless just to prevent them from challenging power. And that's the real fear. The real fear of genocide is not the numbers of people killed. The real fear of genocide is that states may use it as a tool to eliminate people. And I think that's the key element with statelessness. It's not about the numbers. It's the fact that there is an unwillingness to to face up to this challenge and deal with it. And the fact that you leave this as an arsenal in the hands of a government who may or may not choose to use it. I think that's much more the issue with it. Actually, if you leave people, individuals and communities away from the protection of law, invisible to the law, then who knows what might befall them. Ultimately, if you tolerate a society where discrimination is permissible and if you say, oh, well, I'm just discriminating against you because I don't want you in in the public realm, you are making those people invisible. That on a trajectory towards the long term doesn't always result in, in genocide. No, of course not. But in the particular mix of politics that might occur in a state, that becomes a threat. So somehow an articulation of 
a principle is never enough. We need to test it. We need to ensure that all kinds of safeguards are taken to make the inherent dignity and worth of an individual fundamental. And if we can do that, then that's the best safeguard. And I think that's how it ties to statelessness, that the basic principle is that by virtue of being born human, there's an inherent dignity and right of every individual to be, that has to be protected by the state through law and has to be recognized. And who they are and what they stand for and whether they behave in a particular way or not, that's all irrelevant. There are other tools to tackle those issues. So we end there with poignant words from Joshua Castellino, who was a law professor at Middlesex University in London. As ever, good intentions are fine, but awareness of the pitfalls and risks are vital to prevent inequality being perpetuated and even amplified by a push to provide legal identity. A push at a time when the idea of identity and the idea of who belongs and who doesn't is as explosive as ever. Our thanks go to the speakers in this second podcast. We heard from Joshua Castellino, Bronwyn Mambi from the London School of Economics, and Laura Bingham from the Open Society Justice Initiative. Now, what we're going to try and do in the next three episodes of this series is to show what we mean with all of this in reality on the ground. We'll be looking into more detail to three countries, Serbia, the Dominican Republic and India, to try and understand how this all affects and may affect the lives of real people. Music in the podcast is from Poddington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. You can find a link in the show notes. From me, Zahra al thanks for listening.